1: I'm Natalie Mackey from Winky Lux. If you want to build better relationships, you should be listening to the Build Your Network podcast.
2: If you're tired of the old way of networking, the business cards, the awkward conversations, and the aggressive pitches, but you know how crucial your network is to your success in life, then you're in the right place. Welcome to Build Your Network, the only top-rated show committed to helping you master content networking, foster real relationships, increase your authority, and build the network of your dreams. Listen in on conversations with world-class entrepreneurs, authors, thought leaders, and more as we deconstruct their best strategies for your success. So get ready to burn your business cards, ditch the name tag, and discover the new way to network with your host, Travis Chapel.
3: All right, everybody. Welcome back to the Build Your Network podcast. Natalie, thank you so much for joining me on today's show.
1: Thanks for having me.
3: Yeah, really excited to chat with you a little bit. Um, but we always like to take these conversations really back to the beginning uh, because people usually are working in fields that they didn't anticipate working in in middle school or high school. So, what was the trajectory you originally envisioned yourself on? When you go back to those early, like middle school years, and people said, What do you want to be when you grow up? Uh, what was the answer you were giving?
1: Um, I think it, it really changed a lot. I mean, from the time I was really little, it was probably something like a ballerina to when I went to, to college, which I, I was originally a journalism major, but things changed a lot throughout my career. I think I've had a very circuitous career path to get to right. beauty entrepreneurship. I will say I was always drawn to entrepreneurship early on. Mm. My favorite entrepreneurship story was that I saved up my money um, to buy a car. And when I went to a really large high school, there were like 4,000 students. And because of that, the bus would take a really, really long time to get to school. And so I had what was sort of the first Uber of, you know, back in 19, or I guess it was 2000, 1999, 2000. Um, I had a spreadsheet and I would put everyone's name on it and I would, I would pick people up, mostly freshmen and sophomores. I was a junior at the time. So I picked them up um, and I charged two, it was either two or $3 each way. And then my brother and sister were freshmen at the time. So they really acted as like a sales team. (laughs) They were out there (laughs) telling people that, that this was an available service. And so yeah. So I think I always had sort of an entrepreneurial bent.
3: Yeah. Where, where did that come from? Were your parents entrepreneurial at all? Or were they very nine to five? Or or where did that kind of stem from?
1: Yeah, my dad was an entrepreneur, um, and then ended up kind of working uh, nine to five after that. Um, and then I have two uncles who are entrepreneurs. And so I had been around entrepreneurs in my life. I wouldn't say that I was from a hardcore entrepreneurial family which i think is such a gift for people who who are i think that's really um such a special thing they probably don't realize it until they're entrepreneurs themselves but how much you pick up through osmosis is pretty incredible right right which is hence the networking thing right
3: yeah exactly no the the people that have a big impact on you kind of growing up and and that's something that's been really special to me because i wasn't surrounded by a lot of entrepreneurial people as a kid, you know, like we, um, we laugh about all the time when I talk with some of my friends who are entrepreneurs now and we built that network up of people. But as a kid, it was like, there were the parents that made a hundred thousand dollars a year. They were the richest people in the world in my mind. Like I was like six sure. figures is, I, I couldn't even fathom a hundred thousand dollars. I was like two of my parents, By the way,
1: that's still really <laughs> high for the national yeah. average. So it's, it's, it's right. still really, it's still a lot of money um but yes right. it it definitely is not something that is just intrinsic in every community that there's a ton of right. entrepreneurs
3: yeah it was it was like wow they make that they own this small business here and you know that's that's amazing and but almost everybody i knew it was dependent on somebody giving them that amount of money for their job and like the idea of somebody going and just making a job for themselves was like hard for me to wrap my mind around that was just something that never Came into play, um, and so it's it's definitely important. I think to surround yourself with people who are doing that if you want to step into that world because you get to learn from their mistakes. Kind of kind of moving in that direction. I, I'm totally. curious for you. You were in the finance realm for a bit before diving into the the world of makeup that you're in now. Yep. <laughs> um, what what led you in that specific direction from journalism, and what ended up making you pivot?
1: So. Um- I needed to make money. I wasn't from a wealthy family and I wanted to live in New York and finance was a really great job. And, mm. um, and I learned a ton. Um, and I learned a lot about, uh, I ended up in private equity, which is a really great place to learn about business. Mm. And, um, while I was there, I had major, major crushes, business crushes, like friend crushes on all of the entrepreneurs that we worked with, I was just so enamored and fascinated by the businesses they had built. And so that was my, I was sort of like an entrepreneur groupie as, you know, a a lackey analyst at the um, PE firm. So one of the things that was also really interesting about that is that the more I got to know bigger scaled entrepreneurs, because I think I knew, I knew entrepreneurs that had, and I had friends who were entrepreneurs that were doing more lifestyle businesses Um, But then I sort of just had this blurry concept of scaled businesses. And the more I got to know those people, to your point, it sort of changed my internal narrative about what was or was not possible. And then I also realized that, and this is like, it sounds really arrogant saying it, but the key trait for entrepreneurship is not necessarily being the smartest person in the room. It's always, it's a, it's like a grit, And, um, and perhaps even with a curiosity that is is obtainable, attainable. So if you, if you have the personality trait, that's really like lends itself to that, then it it really isn't about, you know, did you go to the most prestigious school or did you, um, you know, did you take this very linear path towards entrepreneurship? And you do see a lot of that. You certainly see tons of Mm -hmm. the Wharton grads and things like that starting companies, but you know, there's... I can't remember how many businesses in America, just an incredible amount. Um, and most of them are not started by Wharton Grants. So, and I mean, small right. business really is the engine of America. So, it's, um, you know, there's lots of people out there doing this. And, but it, do, it does require some sacrifice and some grit. Right.
3: Well, it, it sounded like I was listening to one of your talks, and it sounds like you were building your, your first attempt into the space, you were actually building a software, correct? Yep. Or a, yeah. Yeah. So. Um, you know, and then surveying customers, you made a decision that again, this goes into the entrepreneurial mindset. You decided not to keep moving forward (laughs) where I think a lot of people, you know, start in that direction. They start, especially when you start putting money and time into it. The idea of like stopping that is terrifying because you've already sunk so much into it. What gave you the confidence to say, okay, this is not the direction to keep pushing. I am going to listen to the people we're talking to and pivot into a new direction.
1: Totally. And what you're talking about is sunk cost bias. Like there's so much sunk cost bias in business. I think that overall, I've had, a, um, I've had a theory that following the customer is the best way to build a company. And if the customer is really telling you this is not what they want, that you should listen. And that became kind of the genesis of Winky Lux. So we were starting a a beauty marketplace. So my business partner and I were building out like a tech marketplace, which is at the time in 2015 was a very hot concept. It was easier to get funding for that. It was very exciting. Everybody was talking about marketplaces. There was Farfetch and First Dibs and a million other marketplaces that didn't make it. (laughs) I just mentioned the ones that did. But there were lots of them that didn't. But at the time, this is a really cool concept. It was inventory light, and it was really exciting. So we started building this thing, um, and then we did this really deep customer survey. And at the time, the purpose of the customer survey was really to hone in on what our user experience was going to be. However, what we found... Was something completely different, which was that nobody cared about it. And they thought it wasn't going, they were just very apathetic about it. They were like, no, nah, hmm. it doesn't really solve my problem. I don't know. You know, and there were these questions like, how often do you see yourself using this? And they were like, mm, maybe never. So <laughs> huge red flags.
3: Yeah, um, yeah.
1: You know, like quick, 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 pivot, pivot. Um, And one of the things that kept coming up, there were two things that were really interesting. One was that, we were asking women to dump out or makeup users in general, there were some men in there too, uh, to dump out their makeup bag and talk to us about what they purchased. And mm-hmm. this was like a really qualitative exercise that we were doing. And, we realized that there were a lot of, there was some interesting signaling going on where the customer or the, the person would say things like, I only bought that because I ran out of my good stuff, talking about mm-hmm. like their drugstore makeup. And what was interesting is we knew enough about manufacturing that we knew that some of the makeup they were referring to is actually really great, but they had these bad emotions around it. They felt like they were settling. Um, and then the and, and then they had a few really nice pieces that they coveted and they were very proud of. So, um, that emotional connection to beauty became really, and to brand became really apparent. Um, and there really didn't seem to be anything in the middle that was Mm -hmm. both delightful and they would be proud of, but also affordable. So we set out to do that and then, um, or we set out, you know, that that really changed the way we thought of how we would build a company. And then, um, the other thing that came up was we had this little brand that we were going to green up on the side. And that was going to help us monetize the marketplace. And so really, it was just an idea. It was on a piece of paper. It was these cool images that represented what this brand would be. And they were very extra. That's the best word I can think of. They were very bright, poppy, floral, silly, just indulgent fun images. And at the time, everybody in beauty was going to minimalism. Brands were just all minimalist. They were all like sans serifs on the back of like very light pink. And everything was very, very minimalist. And so Because this wasn't a main part of our company, we had no fear when we greened it up. We were just like, wouldn't it be funny to do this? And what are we going to name it after? We named it after a dog from a movie. So it's really like a a dog that wins a show from a movie called Best in Show. And it just had a lot of fearlessness. Um, But then we we also knew that we wanted to be in a market that was... We wanted really beautiful products that were affordable because we already knew that that that's something the customer was really craving and uh and it was something i was craving too it really made a lot of sense to me that the people we were surveying were consistently saying this um and then also we knew that clean ingredients were going to be table stakes in the future mm-hmm. of beauty so we hit it with those two things and then Winky Lux became somewhat of a viral brand
3: yeah yeah i thought it was really interesting like one of the big cu- common customer responses was just that there was this makeup they actually liked but couldn't afford. Um, And Mm -hmm. I raised a lot of questions for me because you come from a finance background, obviously. So you understand the financial side and what needs to work within the business. How do you serve people who are struggling to afford products they love without sacrificing the bottom line within your business?
1: Well, the good news um, about my brief but brilliant finance career um, is that I and and I have to I have to say I was uh, only in finance for about five years. Then I left to go into consulting and I really was kind of in like the the consumer products industry, like almost it was in it was in brand licensing and and management consulting. So and I was a partner in a firm that did that. So it, it kind of like that was like the beginning of my entrepreneurship journey but um during my brief and brilliant finance career um i did know enough about beauty manufacturing to know that there was a that quality and price were not uh always correlated so there was there were certain table stakes quality thresholds that you had to get to to be really high quality as a product, but that mm-hmm. the margin was still extraordinary in luxury products. I mean, really crazy. So um, I knew that there was plenty of room there to bring mm-hmm. down that price and make the and make the product you know a little bit more accessible. And it's not a it's it's sort of like a known secret that in many large companies there are formulations that span different brands. So in companies, you know, big portfolio companies who will not be named there, they might have a formula that is in like an $8 product and also in a $48 product. Right. So in two different brands, but owned by the same umbrella company. So it's um it's kind of like an open secret that in the industry, right. there's a lot of, you're paying for a lot of marketing. So we thought sure. there was a really good place in between where you could still have that really special packaging, that really special branding, some, a really different point of view and still have that high, high quality Um, because we knew how to make products.
0: Right. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. Travis. Just go to Indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need hire, you need Indeed. Well, at that point,
3: you get to go for that volume play where more people are buying, but they're not you know, instead of a few people spending a lot of money, you've got a lot of people spending slightly less money, but getting a better product than, like you said, drugstore, you know, makeup. Um totally.
1: I, we opened up a really large market.
3: Yeah, like a, a huge, <laughs> huge market, yeah. obviously. And um one thing that you did that I thought was really interesting as well was you focused on the personalized experience. Um, you in one of your talks, I heard you mention um, you know. a lot of people within your target demographic were turned off by just generalized marketing. Um, How did you kind of create a personal experience at scale? Um, Because obviously you've got, you know, several customers. You've got more than just two or three people that you're selling to. Um, How do you scale that personalized experience from you and the customer?
1: Oh, this is such a good question because it changes probably every six months. So we're always trying to be where the customer is. We're always trying to make sure she feels seen and delighted and heard. Um, And that's the, the filter that we put all of our marketing initiatives through. So whether or not that is making sure that she has, you know, that we're targeting ads to a customer base. Now we can't do, you know, now with iOS changes, it's a little harder to personalize some of that. But we want to make sure that the customer sees models that look like her, that she sees, um, you know, models that are more similar to her age. We actually have a really, really diverse customer base, not just racially diverse, but really diverse in location. So we don't mm. just hit the, the coasts. We also have like a big middle of the country customer group um, and our age range, even though our brand feels very useful, uh, our age range is really across the board. I mean, we have one of the larger halos into like forties and fifties of brands kind of that would seem to target, you know, young millennials, Gen Z. So uh, we have people from all different age groups using our products. And that's just not like lip service. Like it, we have an unusually large group when compared to some of our competitors.
3: Sure. Sure. So when, when communicating with them, I mean, obviously you've got your general marketing. Are you, are you utilizing a lot in the realm of like influencer marketing? Like where, where are you spending most of your ad spend? Is it into just, you know, obviously with the iOS changes, trying to target somebody is. Not impossible, but speaking to existing customer base, staying that top of mind, top of mind awareness. How are you managing that um, as it gets a little bit more saturated and and a little bit blurrier as to who you're reaching out to?
1: Totally. I mean, anyone listening to this right now, if they're if they're a marketer and they're listening to this right now, it's no secret that it's paid social. Is a trash can fire compared to where it was in, in years past. It is a really, really hard to scale a business with paid social unless you have some sort of magic thing, which I've yet to meet anyone who really has this. Um, but it's it's a difficult thing to do right now because you know it's just it's just a super saturated market. To your point, we're excited about. A couple of things. We're really, really excited about TikTok because even though we've had a, even though it's not quite, it's um, not quite buttoned up like how to manufacture the virality that really drives TikTok. It's we're getting closer to it, and we're also, you know, the channel itself is growing so fast. So that's always really great because you always, you know, riding the back of a channel growth is makes everything easier. And then on top of that, it really aligns with our purpose filter, which is joy. So Instagram became very serious over the past few years, it really went the way of Facebook where it started off is almost like a digital magazine. And it was really just pops of visual style porn, almost like this beautiful house and this beautiful outfit, this beautiful vacation. And it was like flipping through a fashion magazine. And then it became a lot more, uh, you know, there was a lot more usership and it became a lot more people's day in and day out lives. And then it became extremely serious. Um, And so I think it ceased to be that escape that people really wanted. Um, whereas TikTok was actually providing that. It's really entertaining. It's quite funny. Um, And who knows if that'll last. But for right now, it really, it aligns with kind of what we are, which is we want to be this bright spot in our customer's day. We really are here not to, you know, we're really here to like provide that levity and that excitement for her, not necessarily to be super serious. She's got a lot of seriousness in the world. She doesn't quite need it so much from
3: us. Right, right. Yeah, I'm, I'm really happy to hear that about TikTok because that's something I've been telling people, you know, to be bullish on is TikTok. And I'm late to the game and saying that, you know, like I jumped on two years ago and then like, I don't think last you're late year, to the
1: game. <laughs> yeah. You know,
3: I, you know in the last year or so, I've really been bullish and we've had, you know, I've had some clients that I've helped with TikTok, you know, and it, it is, like you said, there's no science to virality. Like at the end of the day, you don't know. But with TikTok, you start realizing the things that work and double down and TikTok, more than any other platform right now is consistently rewarding you doing the things it wants you to do. Um, and so like, you know, I had a, I had one client that went to, I think it was 4.1 million views in like a month and a half just from just organically with like 60 followers to then blowing up. And it's like, you can't do that on Instagram right now. You know, you can't do that on many platforms Sorry. and it's, it's really cool. And, you know, for your brand specifically, that is like, it's built for TikTok. I mean, the tutorials, like all that kind of stuff is is huge. And, you know, part of me hopes more people jump on it and take advantage. The other part's like, please stay away. This is our secret platform <laughs> to, <laughs> to kind of grow right now. I, I want to ask one more thing before we pivot into the networking side. Um, I do right. want to ask about transparency. You talked about clean ingredients. You talked about that being like really big um, and seeing that early on. Uh, but you also like live stream developing products and the process behind putting out these things. Um, how important has transparency been as part of your your business model?
1: So twofold, super important, um, and for two reasons. I believe this is what I, these are the sort of like our our company's hypothesis about transparency. Um, number one, we're in a super crowded market with incumbents that still own a huge part of the business. So something like 80 something percent is still these massive companies that have big portfolios of brands. Um, So when we think about taking market share, we're not really focused on other cool indie brands. A lot of times people are like, well, who's your competitor? We're like, well, our competitor is Estee Lauder and (laughs) L'Oreal. Like that's who we're taking market share from. Um, Not like other cool indie brands. Like those customers are already kind of going down that route. So um, in that sense, we feel like we have to be very transparent because we have to build the trust with the customer. And we're going up against brands that are some of them are almost 100 years old. So you can't Mm just magic up that type of customer trust over years and years and years the only way to do it is to have pretty radical transparency with the customer the second thing is that we have to do the things our competitors can't do in order to have an edge because we can't beat them on things like cost of good and operational excellence right I mean I think we're pretty operationally excellent for our size but we can't beat you know the team of 50 at uh you know let's NEMA, L'Oreal brand, Knicks. Um, we can't beat that team that is just you know myopically focused on each little teeny weeny part of the supply chain so we've got to do the things that they can't do and one of those things is to really show the customer how the product's made which is Hmm. so cool there there's really like a a heart fluttering excitement when you're in a factory it's really cool it's so fun it's got a lot of asmr is that the word asmr
3: yeah qualities
1: when you um when you see the the glosses being put inside the tubes, and the tubes are on these lines. Like it's just very, it's very cool. So there, I, I have almost a childlike awe when I'm in a factory. I love to see the kettles. I love to see the lab. I could spend all day in there. So I think bringing our customer into that experience is something our competitors will never do. Maybe some other yeah. cool indie brands will do it, but the big guys likely will not do that. And and again, it's sort of leaning back on that trust again.
3: Right. Right. Well, we keep talking about relationships. So I feel like we should probably ask the question we like to ask everybody that comes on the show. And that is, do you believe that who you know or what you know is more important and why?
1: Oh, this is such a good question. Okay. Can I cheat a little bit? I would, say, um, I'm going to go yes. with what you know or who you know. Okay. Sorry, I'm going to go with who you know, but I would say maybe what you don't know, knowing what you don't know, if you have a mm. really great network. Having the um, the self awareness uh, or whatever you want to call it humility, self awareness, introspection to know um, what you really are not good at or what you just don't understand. As long as you have a really robust and awesome network, I think you can, that's the first part, right? Like you figure out what, what you're, uh, what you need to know and what you need to understand and you find someone who's going to help walk you through that or hold your hand.
3: What's been the number one way that you've found those people and surrounded yourself with those people? Has it been through masterminds or mentorships, or has it just been hiring people who know things that you don't Uh, What's been the biggest way to, to capitalize on that?
1: Across the board. I would say that probably other entrepreneurs are my greatest source of um, expertise. So a great example is we just hired a branding agency to refresh our brand for 2022. And it started, this process started in the beginning of 2021. And the first person I reached out to was a friend of mine who's also an entrepreneur who is excellent at brand and used to be a creative director at an agency. And so I said, all right, we're going to do this RFP for a bunch of agencies. How does this even work? Like, talk to me like I'm five. Tell me exactly how an agency works on on that side because i have never done that before. We did everything internally, you know, from the beginning to until now. So tell me how that works. And she walked me through it like I was five years old. She's like, "This is the creative director. These are the people that answer to this person. These are the people that they work with. You know, this is what a an RFP looks like. This is what a project brief looks like." And so, by giving me some of those, uh, some of that intel, I was able then to work with my team to create a really, really comprehensive brief. And when we went out to market to do this big request for proposal you know multiple agencies were like this is a really great brief like it's so thorough you guys really must know what you're doing And we were just like yes (laughs) obviously we knew nothing you know two weeks prior to that but because i because you know i um because i knew this person and had gotten to know her over a long period of time i was able to sort of leapfrog some of
3: that that's awesome well, I know we're getting near the end of our time here, uh, so I'm going to go ahead and move us into our random round. So I've got some quick questions, we'll get some quick answers, sure. and then we'll uh, we'll close out here. First, what profession other than your own do you think would be fun to attempt?
1: Astronaut. Okay. I would like to go to space. Uh, maybe musician. I would have to have Astronaut balance, might but... be
3: possible soon. <laughs> I mean, it's getting more yeah. and more attainable, so... It's like
1: on my dream board, you know, of things to like work hard for. I don't know if I'll ever actually get to that one, but that's it's a really cool thing.
3: That's awesome. If you could sit on a park bench with anybody, past or present, and talk to them for an hour, who would it be and why?
1: If it wasn't personal, if it wasn't like a grandparent or someone that I'd lost, but more of a business person or just a leader, um, I would have to say maybe any sitting president, hmm. I would be really fascinated to hear. Who knows what they would tell me, but I would be really fascinated to hear kind of how that what that job is like. I'm just, I I would be very curious to have like a really like off the record conversation with someone in that seat.
3: Um, How do you like to learn best books, podcasts, videos? What's your, what's your favorite way to consume information?
1: Um, Probably through people telling it to me, (laughs) Um, but I would say books probably and, and podcasts also, I walk a lot. So podcasts are awesome, including yours.
3: Oh, awesome. I was going to say, do you have any podcasts you'd recommend? But we'll just leave it yours. right
1: there. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, give me a glimpse of your morning routine.
1: Um, baby, so I have a six month or seven month old. Oh my gosh. Time flies, uh, seven month old. And so baby, 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 um, I do a Peloton in the morning and I'm one of the people who does the 20 minute Peloton. So I'm not really, I'm not, I'm not going to be on the tour to France anytime soon. And then, uh, I walk and get coffee and sometimes I take the baby with me to walk and get coffee and then, um, her nanny shows up and it's like off to the races at eight 30. Gotcha.
3: When you're off to the races, what is your go-to pump-up song?
1: Right now, it's Lizzo's Rumors. Such a good dance song.
3: That's awesome. Uh, What is something that you're not very good at?
1: Organizing. Hmm. I'm not Uh, a naturally organized person. I have to have like labels on everything. Otherwise, it would never get picked up.
3: Gotcha. And what is one place where people can find you the most? Um, obviously, we'll link out to all the Winky Lux brand sites and everything. But if they want to follow your kind of personal journey, what's the best place to do that?
1: Probably on Instagram. I'm trying to get better on TikTok. Um, but Instagram, not Mac one. And I post awesome. a lot of stories, um, not so much on my static feed, probably like once a month on my static feed, just because I I, I don't have enough like really great, cool pictures. But yeah, I'm around.
3: Cool. Awesome. Well, if you're listening to this episode, be sure to head over to the link in the show notes, check out Winky Lux and connect with Natalie. Natalie, thank you so much for joining me on today's show.
1: Thanks, Eric. Have a good one.
3: Awesome
2: that's it for this episode if you want to connect with travis and other like-minded people who also listen to the show then you're going to want to head over to travischapel.com group to join his free facebook group podcast to profit travis will see you there and remember to leave every relationship better than you found it
3: this is the story of the one as head of maintenance at a concert hall he knows the show must always go on that's why he works behind the scenes